Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy March and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here's a quick announcement. Our March heart-centered and passion-driven inspiration for better living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is live at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. The theme for March is Celebrating Women's History Month, a conversation about life, love, and laughter. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show this morning, my guest for today is Tracy Sikkim. Tracy is the founder of Soul Pleaser, director of Potential Realize, and author of From People Pleaser to Soul Pleaser. She grew up with a selfless, caring mother and an entrepreneur father who taught her to put everyone first and work hard. Tracy is grateful for these lessons as they served her well until she became constantly anxious and burnt out from being a people pleaser. Tracy's new book, From People Pleaser to Soul Pleaser, shares six steps to being who you are meant to be. She has helped thousands of people pleasers to become soul pleasers. Tracy reminds them of their uniqueness and magnificence and assists them in realigning their highest potential and living the life they love with joy and happiness. She lives in Adelaide, Australia with her family. Tracy is also one of our featured expert contributors to our March Inspirations for Better Living magazine. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her inspiring and empowering story, Discovering My Purpose and Soul Happiness, in our Global Village section. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning, Tracy and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and how women can shift from being people-pleasers to soul-pleasers and live their best lives as we wrap up Women's History Month and the celebration of International Women's Day this past March 8th. Happy Wednesday, Tracy, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me, Johnny. It is wonderful to have you with me. From People Pleaser to Soul Pleaser is an excellent read. It is beautifully written, extremely detailed and empowering. The guides are easy to implement in our daily lives to experience the result that nourishes our heart, mind, body, and spirit. So congratulations on this release. Oh, thank you so much. It's really a story of my life, so I'm very <laughs> pleased that it's helpful. Wonderful, wonderful. Let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. And by the way, we do have the whole hour. <laughs> Great. So, as you mentioned, I grew up in a country town called Port Lincoln here in South Australia. And my dad was an entrepreneur and he had lots of businesses, including selling cars. He had car washes. He had hotels. 
and my mum worked across the road in the local hospital. And so it was a lovely balance what I was learning from the two of them. I learned a lot of business skills from my dad and I certainly learned how to be very caring and very giving from my mum. And I realise now that my mum was a people pleaser all through her life and so was my grandmother, although that epiphany didn't really come till later in life. But I grew up really experiencing that I loved praise and I loved recognition. So my parents were very loving and very caring and it wasn't them, it was me. It was me really becoming quite addicted to the way that they, you know, really praised me and I wanted more of that. So that turned me into somebody that tried really hard at school and so I decided to become a physiotherapist, which here in Australia is very difficult to get into the university degree. So I won a scholarship to go across to Adelaide and become a boarder at the end of high school for the last two years. Um, I became quite homesick when I did that and struggled a little bit about with being away from home, but it did enable me to do very well at school. Then I went on an exchange to Texas for 12 months. So I was a year 12 student at Crowley High School, um, which was really fun. I got to hang out with the Cowboys. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I had a really fun year there. Um, it was the start of my eating disorder. Um, probably started sooner than that, but really compounded, I think, mm -hmm. when I was homesick. I think when you can't control things, you start to control what you can, which for me was food and exercise. Um, and then I came back and started a, my first business at the age of 18, which was the school jumper um, business. So you know how in America, when you're in your final year, your senior year at high school, you have one of those T-shirts and you have the names of everybody in your class on the back. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have that here in Australia, so I brought that idea back and we started that business here in Australia. And then I bought a news agency with my brother and we ran that while I went through university and studied to become a physiotherapist. And then I started working in private practice for seven years for somebody else. But I always had this feeling that we needed to be preventing injuries and empowering people to prevent injuries and to be able to help themselves rather than wait till they were really in pain and come to us. And so I started an injury prevention business in 1996 called Safe Work Practice, uh, which I ran with my business partner for 21 years. And I also decided to raise money for people with cerebral palsy. So, so for 12 mm -hmm. months, I was fundraising and with the help of my sponsors, raised over $100,000 for people with disabilities. And I won the role of Miss Australia. And so I spent 12 months traveling around Australia uh, helping people with disabilities and raising mm -hmm. awareness. And while I was doing that, I met my now husband who was touring the world on a motorbike. He's from Dublin. <laughs> and so we are now happily married with three children. Um, and I began my Soul Pleaser business once I sold my physiotherapy business in 2017. Fascinating. Really, really fascinating. It looks like you really took advantage of being the fact that life is a buffet line and you've tasted just about everything out there. <laughs> yes, That's beautiful. Yes, I'm very, very grateful for that. Yes. <laughs> That's really wonderful. Well, coming back to one of the things that I read in your book is the fact that what fascinates you about physiologists? 
because you were looking at it right when you were 15 years old. I mean, that's kind of like, hmm, abnormal, one would say, I would think. Yeah, it's fascinating how some people get an idea of what they want to do. But interestingly, when I think about the way it came about, Mm -hmm. when I was 15, um, there was an opportunity for us to do work experience at our local school. And Mm -hmm. my mum was very helpful because she was a nurse and she said to me, I think you should really choose a career where it's possible for you to have children as well and have a balance, you know, to be a mother Mm -hmm. and also Mm -hmm. be able to work, which was really good advice. So yeah, yeah. she suggested that I do work experience in the local pharmacist um, and with the physiotherapist. And so I took her advice and I mm-hmm. went and did work experience with the, the local pharmacist. And they were very nice people, but I found the work to be very boring for me. <laughs> and then I went to do work experience with the local physiotherapist. And, yeah. you know, I was a young, impressionable 15-year-old girl with lots of hormones and the physiotherapist was quite cute and so <laughs> I really enjoyed that experience and I decided to become a physiotherapist. So I can't say that um, it was really a great way to make a decision but once I got to university, I really enjoyed learning yeah. about people and I think that that caring side of my mum being in the health industry and being a nurse right. was so linked to physical therapy, you know, and so getting into the physiotherapy degree and starting to work with people just really suited my personality. Right, right. That's interesting. What was the most memorable moments during your childhood that still impacted you and influenced you today? Well, one of the most memorable things for me was a trip that we took as a family. So Mm -hmm. at the time, my mum and dad had three children. I'm the eldest. And we took a trip to Europe where we went in a camper van. And so the five of us were all in this very small camper van and (laughs) we travelled around Europe. And it was so wonderful. Like I just had these memories of spending time together and laughing and joking. Mm -hmm. and, And I just think that it reflects our most important values and as we talk more later I really realize now how we can lose sight of those values and we Mm -hmm. can think that success and other things are more important but that's my fondest memory and when I talk to my siblings they also say that that's their fondest memory as well and I Mm -hmm. think that we were very blessed to have that opportunity to spend so much time together not many families can do something like that and Mm -hmm. it really brought us very close to together and even though both of um, my parents have passed we still as siblings there's five of us now we still get together all the time with our children and it's very important Mm -hmm. to us to stay close very very interesting and being the oldest too i think that leadership tendencies sort of became natural for you because you were observing your dad and your mom and by nature when you're close to your mom and you're seeing how caring she is, like you were talking about, that's something that you have adopted, but yet that leadership side of the equation where your dad comes into the picture, you have a take-charge attitude too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's a wonderful balance, and I do think that there is a personality type quite often when Mm -hmm. you are the oldest in the family, particularly Mm -hmm. in a big family, because you do take on that role of leadership and then you end up sort of taking that into your future career as well. Yeah. And of course, when we're in it, we don't realize that. I think that's the beauty of it, because it's sort of like a natural flow. 
the concept of in hindsight, it always looks, oh, wow, gee. <laughs> but in the moment, yeah, it's suddenly right, you right. just went with the flow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Who were your role models and why do you consider them as such? So my first role model was my teacher in year six and seven. Um, he had a real strength about him and he was quite disciplinary. And mm. I reflect on that and realize that the reason he was was because he cared so much. And mm. he saw my potential and I believe he saw all of his students' potential. And he really knew what we were capable of. And I think sometimes if somebody else outside of yourself has the confidence in you, it can really right. help you to develop your own confidence. And I think that my awareness of how clever I was started from his feedback, both in terms of giving me reassurance and affirmation, but also in his ability to correct me when I went off course. You know, he didn't mm -hmm. shy away mm -hmm. from that. And I really right. value his strong leadership. That was really important to me very early on. And then another really important role model to me was my confirmation teacher so mm -hmm. we grew up going to the Lutheran church and mm -hmm. we had a young man you know in comparison to the pastor for example and um, mm -hmm. he was probably in his 20s and I would have been 12 or 13 um, and he was very compassionate and I guess he was a different example of what a male could look like in comparison to my dad who was very mm -hmm. strong and very outgoing and, right. and this person obviously had a very strong spiritual connection and he was an example of empathy and understanding and softness and it was wonderful for me to have two different male role models in my life right, that were right. quite opposite but also very caring and, you know, wanting what was best for me. Right, right. That's very, very interesting. When we talk about leadership, sometimes it's very interesting. Some of the most insecure people are actually leaders. <laughs> because the need so to true. be accepted <laughs> it was like, oh my God, I exactly. want people to like me, yeah. to support me. And so in many ways, it's the flip side of the equation. People always think that, oh, leaders, oh, he is afraid of nothing. And that's not true. <laughs> no, not at all. So do you consider yourself as an insecure individual when you were growing up in some ways? Yes, absolutely. So the flip side, it's really interesting that you say that because I think mm -hmm. that we can look very confident to the outside world right. and then we right. can feel insecure on the inside and nobody mm -hmm. knows about that. And right. so for me, um, when I reflect on my insecurity, I think that it was a double-edged sword in the sense that not only did I enjoy praise, but I needed it. And I think mm. it's that fine line. I think it's that yeah, difference yeah. between liking it, but actually needing it. And so then you seek it. Um, and I think one of the things that really started a deeper level of insecurity, and, and to no fault of my friends, but mm -hmm. I was sitting one day next to my friend at school. We were sitting on the ash belt. We had our our school uniforms pulled mm -hmm. up above our knees, tanning our legs. And she said to me, <laughs> oh, your ankles are getting fat. And I went, oh, and I'd never even thought oh of it. Like God. up until that moment, I'd never <laughs> noticed my ankles. I'd never even really looked at them, I don't think. And in that moment, I looked at them and thought, oh, you're right. And it's interesting because 
a different person could have laughed that off, but right, I took right, what right. she said to heart. And that really was the begin of, beginning of dieting for me. You know, I started mm-hmm. to, I bought a book called Thin Thighs in 30 Days. You know, <laughs> I went from this innocent child who didn't think about food to yeah, suddenly, yeah. you know, becoming obsessed. And so I really did become quite insecure about my body. And, you know, that happens to a lot of women and men, yeah, um, yeah. but particularly women. And I think my insecurity really grew from that. Yeah. Very, very interesting. So how challenges that you were facing, right, as a teenager and perhaps a young woman, how is that different than the challenges that you were facing as a professional woman in your 30s and 40s? Yeah, so very different because um, when you look at what was important to me as a teenager, it was about, you know, being that age and you care about being attractive, I guess, to the opposite sex and you know, mm-hmm. for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so my focus was on body and things like that. And then when I was a professional in my 30s and 40s, I did gain a lot more confidence. Um, but my challenges then really became about my perfectionism. So the perfectionism mm-hmm. started at a very young age. I remember when I first started school that I had learnt how to keep mum and dad happy, but now I came to school and I was keeping the teacher happy. I was definitely the teacher's pet, so the teacher loved me. But then (laughs) there were all different types of children in the classroom and some of them wanted me to be fun, you know, some of them wanted me to be naughty, you know, and all different demands. And so it became more and more difficult to keep all of these different people happy. So then you fast forward to 30s and 40s and I've always run my own businesses and I had clients and I had teams. So I had people working for me and I had customers and clients. And so I wanted to keep all of them happy all of the time. So Mm -hmm. a completely unrealistic expectation. So I wanted them to like me. I wanted them to get results. So I thought that I was responsible for their outcomes So I took on these responsibilities that really weren't mine and were really quite impossible. And, you know, that's really what led me to becoming burnt out, was just pushing myself to achieve at an unrealistic level of expectation. Right, right. I sense that you were genuine in what you're trying to do because you have a lot of people out there, and I say this respectfully, you know what I'm talking about because we've been around enough to know that some people are fake right? Because they just want to please yeah. you yeah. in front of your face and that's it. Like, who cares whether you fail or whatever, you know, I've got the money, so what? But you and I are looking at situations where if it's a failure, we take it personally. If it's a success, yeah. we're so happy we're that director behind the curtain, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the problem is that our love for ourselves is conditional. It's based Mm -hmm. on whether we think we're doing a good job or whether we're not, whether we think we're succeeding, particularly in helping others. I think that our drive to help others is a reflection of our true essence. Where our conditioned personality comes in and our insecurity comes in is when our self-awareness and self-love is compromised if we think that we're not always successful in helping others. So again, it comes back to that, am I just enjoying helping others or Mm -hmm. 
do I need it to feel good about myself? I must right. help them. They must get the result that they want for me to feel good about myself. But, yeah, it's always been genuine. I've always genuinely loved what I've been doing. I've never done anything that I don't love. As soon as I stop loving it, I don't do it anymore. Right. Um, however, I have pushed the level of doing what I love to the extreme because mm-hmm. I'm trying so hard to get results that perhaps I'm not responsible for to the level that I think I am. Right, right. That's true. Very, very true. So when did the shift from being a people pleaser to a soul pleaser occur? Yes, well, that occurred very specifically. So my mum was diagnosed with cancer um, in about 2006, and she really took great care of herself and had some treatments done and went into remission for 10 years. And then it came back and it spread into different areas of her body. And I got that news when I was overseas on a holiday with my family. And when I found that out, I thought, I probably don't have a lot of time left with mum. I'm going to take my mum out for lunch every Friday. Mm -hmm. And 12 months later, when she passed away, I hadn't done that. I definitely spent a lot of time with her, but I continued to work so hard that I hadn't made that commitment to myself and I hadn't followed through with it and taken her out for lunch every Friday. Mm -hmm. And I felt terrible guilt. And I just sort of said to myself, what are you doing? Like, why do you keep working so hard when the thing that's most important to you, like your mum, like I just adored my mum. I really had her Mm -hmm. up on a pedestal. And I just thought, what are you doing? And I just became very, very aware of what had led to my mum's physical demise. And she had actually shared with me a few years before she passed away that Mm -hmm. she really believed that the lump in her breast was resentment, that she'd held on to people and never expressed it because she was such a people pleaser. She She avoided conflict. So... If she resented someone, she never brought it up with them because she just was so nice, you know, so she would never say anything. So instead, she would just chew on it, and she really feels that that had become physical. And another really interesting symptom of people-pleasing for her was that when she first became aware of the lump in her breast, she didn't tell anyone because my dad had had a stroke, and I was Mm, pregnant with my third child, and she didn't want to worry me. So she allowed that to get to seven centimetres before she even went to a doctor. And so I became very aware when my mum passed away that she was a people pleaser, my grandmother was a people pleaser, and so was I. And (laughs) if I didn't break the cycle right then and there, my two daughters were also going to be people pleasers. I could already see it starting with them. And I needed to be the one to stop. I needed to make that shift. And I just fell to my knees and asked for help. I prayed. Mm -hmm. I was like, I can't do this on my own anymore. I've always been the helper and the fixer, and I've always felt I don't need any help, and I do. I need help. Please help me. And that's when I became aware that I needed to lean on my soul instead of always trying to do it on my own. Right, right. That's very, very interesting, though, because I think when you look at the soul, all their part, everything is there. It just needs rearrangement. From that perspective, how did the epiphany affect your confidence as a woman, a mom, a wife, and an entrepreneur? 
Oh my goodness, it changed everything. So first of mm-hmm. all, it didn't happen overnight. So I just want everyone right. to know that it's not an overnight change. So I think, you know, it took a couple of years for me to make the change. I became aware of it in an instant. Right. The change happened gradually. And I am so different. I was 47 when this change started. And the first 47 years of my life, I was really influenced by other people. So even if it wasn't something that they were saying to me, it was something that I thought that they thought. And so it was what was driving me to try and keep them happy. You know, everybody Mm -hmm. I met, I wanted to keep them happy. And when I shifted to be tuning into my soul and listening to my soul's calling and my soul's whispers, when I'm influenced by my soul, what I know is, is that I'm totally okay exactly as I am, no matter what I do. I know that I'm here to experience joy. And this goes for all of us. Everything that I know about Mm -hmm. myself, I, I innately know this is true for all of us, that our purpose is joy, that we are here to discover who we are, what we like, and be who we are. I am unapologetically myself. And Mm -hmm. when I am my true self, my true essence shines through me, which is joy, love, acceptance, blessing, and grateful. I really believe that that's our true essence. And that comes through me naturally because I'm not worrying about how I'm showing up. So I'm not Mm -hmm. trying, I'm just being. And when you can stop trying and you can just relax and be, it's just so much easier. Life is just so joyful and relaxing because there's nothing hard about it anymore. You know, you can face challenges in your life with this calmness about you because you know that your soul is behind you. And I really believe our souls have this infinite wisdom that we can tap into. And it's so powerful. So very, very powerful. Right. So true. Well, it's interesting because we talk about coming full circle. As leaders, we are the most insecure people, correct? But yet there's a certain amount of confidence within us. But when we find this enlightenment, for lack of a better term, all of a sudden the confidence is there, but that equation just shifted instead of 4951 it becomes 5149 and it's my own experience to whereby and i'm sure you felt the same way as you go through the process of transition and finally to where you are at that you realize hey you know what if you don't appreciate that's your loss not mine because i know my intentions are good i'm giving you my all (laughs) i'm not holding anything And so, as such, it's okay for me. No biggie. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And because you have this compassion and understanding, Mm -hmm. what you realize is the futility of trying to make somebody else happy because you don't know what they've been through or what they're going through that is causing their unhappiness. So, for you to expect to be the reason that can make them feel better is unrealistic. It's too much pressure on them and it's too much pressure on you. So one of the biggest changes is being comfortable with somebody else just feeling what they're feeling. And so it's okay for you to be happy and for somebody else to be unhappy. One of the symptoms of a people pleaser is that we feel guilty to be happy Mm -hmm. if somebody else is unhappy. And so to show compassion, we think that what we have to do is feel their emotions. 
So salt, uh, people pleasers are often empaths as well. So their empathy right. goes to the extent that not only do we understand somebody else's feelings, we feel their feelings. And that's what can end up having us as a people pleaser on an emotional roller coaster where we feel like we don't have any control over our emotions because other people's emotions are controlling our emotions. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a really important shift as well. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. So why did you offer From People Pleasers to Soul Pleasers? Um, I wrote the book because I'd been working with people for six years, taking them through my program from People Pleaser to Soul Pleaser. Mm-hmm. And I was absolutely amazed by the results people were getting. So I knew that, that I had applied to myself work for me, but I had no idea how many people it was going to help and to such profound levels. So I just ended up seeing all of these different scenarios of where people completely transformed their lives. Plus, there was a flow-on effect. So it didn't just change the women I worked with. It changed their children. It changed their Mm -hmm. husbands. It changed their relationships in their workplace. And I thought, I can't keep this a secret. Like, this is is a secret (laughs) only helping hundreds of people, you know? Like, there are only so many people that can do a program. And so I thought the book was an opportunity to really put it out into the world and anybody can find it. And and I'm just so grateful that it's having that impact that was my intention behind it. Well, it's a beautiful book. Everything inside is concise, precise, very thorough, like I say. Y'all need to go out there and get a copy of this book. It's beautifully written. It's easy to follow. That's the most important thing. It's a page turner, let me put it this way. And that's, to me, how I view books to whereby, okay, do I want to go to the next page? (laughs) And I do. And within that, also, you'll find nuggets of wisdom, Tracy's own experience that you can connect with. It don't have to be the same thing, but you'll know it's an aha moment. And that's what it's all about. That's what makes the book beautiful. So please give us a quick synopsis of the book. Well, the book starts with just talking about the different areas of our lives that people-pleasing impacts, um, including our career, our family, our relationships, our health. And then I go through the six steps of how you can shift from being a people pleaser to a soul pleaser. And then I sort of summarize what it's like to live a life as a soul pleaser compared to what it's like being a people pleaser. Beautiful. It's about, it doesn't matter where you are at in your life. You can certainly relate to the different steps that are offered in the book. So that's the difference. I know we mentioned this in our conversation a little bit, but what are some of the symptoms that we may be people pleasers that we are not simply aware of? Well, one of them might be that you avoid conflict. So people might not mm. think that they're a people pleaser, but when I ask that question, they're like, oh, yeah, I do <laughs> avoid conflict. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's a real symptom of a people pleaser because we don't like to feel like we cause somebody else to be upset. And what we need to realize is that it's actually completely normal and wonderful that we all have a different perspective. That's what makes the world go round, is each one Mm. of us has individual and unique perspectives on life. And we can bring these perspectives together without 
it being upsetting, but often because we're afraid that we're going to upset someone, that's exactly what we get. You know, then we try to bring something up and then we just start to avoid it. But when we do that, we really lose ourselves. We lose our voice because we're not sharing what's important to us. Another symptom is that we find it very hard to say no. Um, I realize now that part of my enthusiasm to help so many people and my mm-hmm. excitement to be out in the world and, you know, I like taking action in the world and doing things I enjoy is that yes would fall out of my mouth before I even really understood <laughs> what I was saying yes to. <laughs> and then later when I understood what I was doing, I'm like, I don't want to do this. And so then I would resent the person I'd said yes to. And it wasn't their fault. It was my fault because I said yes. So my my big tip to people is to really buy some time. If somebody asks you to do something, just buy yourself some time and ask questions so that you really understand what Mm -hmm. they want. And then you Mm -hmm. want to reflect on what you've already got in your life before Mm -hmm. you take that on. Um, Another symptom is... Uh, feeling responsible for other people's feelings. So Mm -hmm. I noticed this in my son um, just a few months ago, so he's still got some people-pleasing going on, where something changed with one of his schedules and it interrupted something I had planned. And for a moment, I had this look of probably frustration on my face. And he (laughs) said, sorry. And I said to him, oh, don't be sorry. Do not be sorry, you know, because that's the last thing I want is for him to be sorry when I feel an emotion. Um, So we really want to be aware of that, that we don't feel responsible for other people's emotions and we don't want our kids to feel responsible for ours either. Right, right. So true. That's very, very true. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Teachers Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, MixCloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to our heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. March theme is Celebrating Women History Month, a conversation about life, love, and laughter. My guest for today is Tracy Sikkim. Tracy is the founder of Soul Pleaser, director of Potential Realize, and author of From People Pleaser to Soul Pleaser. She grew up with a selfless, caring mother and an entrepreneur father who taught her to put everyone first and work hard. Tracy is grateful for these lessons as they serve her well until she became constantly anxious and burnt out from being a people pleaser. Tracy's new book, From People Pleaser to Soul Pleaser, shares six steps to being who you are meant to be. She has helped thousands of people pleasers to become soul pleasers. Tracy reminds them of their uniqueness and magnificence and assists them in realigning their highest potential and living the life they love with joy and happiness. She lives in Adelaide, Australia with her family. Tracy is also one of our featured expert contributors to our March Inspirations for Better Living magazine. Please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read her inspiring and empowering story, Discovering My Purpose and Soul Happiness in our Global Village section. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning, Tracy and I are talking about her remarkable life's journey and how women can shift from being people pleasers to soul pleasers and live their best lives as we wrap up 
Women's History Month and the celebration of International Women's Day this past March 8th. Tracy, how do you define the power of acceptance? The power of acceptance is allowing what is to be. And if we look at most of our negative emotions, it's usually because we're resisting what is. And I think that the people that object to letting go of that feel like if I accept what is, it will never change. And I've found that the opposite is true. I've found that whatever we focus on grows. So the more that we focus on the things that we don't want and the things that we would like to change, the more they keep repeating and the more we're going to see them. And if we can just turn the other cheek and turn away from those things and focus on what's good in our lives and just allow that thing to be, that is giving it the opportunity to change. And it really is part of our true essence. Our soul is totally accepting. And for me, my new definition of love is acceptance because Mm -hmm. otherwise our love is conditional. We are loving someone, including ourselves, if dot, 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 whatever that may be, you know, I'm thin enough, I'm nice enough, I'm successful enough. Whereas if we completely accept ourselves fully right now in this moment, exactly as we are, then we allow every opportunity for us to grow into our full potential. It must start with that level of acceptance to begin with. Right, right. So true. I would also add that acceptance does not mean that, like, who cares? Whatever happens, happens. That's not what it is. It's more from a standpoint of within the context of, wait a minute now, if it's going against the grain, then there's something wrong because there's a flip side of the equation. But acceptance here is more like, are we forcing things? Yes. So instead of pushing against it, we just Mm -hmm. accept that it is. And we allow the solution to come in. So I believe that there is a solution to every problem. As soon as you become aware of the problem, the solution exists and your soul has the step-by-step pathway to Mm -hmm. it. But while you're pushing against the problem, you're not allowing that solution to come in. You're not going to hear those soul whispers of what the next step is to take. And so the resistance is actually in the way of allowing that to come forth. Right. So true. What is the best or proper way to release attachment? Because that would be the next thing in the equation. Yes, absolutely. So first of all, just becoming aware of when you're attached. So my definition of being attached to something is that you need it to be happy. So Mm -hmm. the goal is to be able to be happy no matter what. And obviously there are going to be times that you're going to not feel happy and that's completely normal. All emotions are valid. But if we're consistently feeling emotions that don't feel good, we want to say to ourselves, what is it that I think I need for me to be happy? And then you can recognize that you have an attachment to something. What I was attached to was outcomes. So Mm -hmm. as a high achiever, perfectionist, I needed things to go a certain way for me to be happy. And that sets yourself up to fail because you cannot always control outcomes. I think that you can ultimately reach goals, whatever you want to, whatever you really desire. However, we need to let go of that attachment of exactly how that's going to pan out. So if we're very attached to all of the steps towards that bigger goal, 
and exactly how that's going to happen, we're often missing out on an alternative route. You know, there are so many people mm-hmm. who have let go of something. The classic example is the woman that's trying really hard to get pregnant and she eventually lets go. She gives up and accepts right. it and maybe even starts to look at the ad- adoption path and next minute she's pregnant because right. she's not so attached to it anymore. She still wants it, but mm-hmm. she's released that attachment to it. So it's that real clinging to it and just allowing it to come in its own time. So true. Very, very true. Your book talked about controlling obsessions and so forth. When do a person's self-discipline habits morph into a controlling obsession? Yeah, such a great question. So for me, I guess I can look back on my experience with anorexia and Mm -hmm. I found that at first it just started as a prevention technique. So when I was an exchange student, it was called AFS and the joke was good for another fat student. (laughs) So the the idea was that when when people went away on an exchange student, they ate all this wonderful food of this other country, you know, and they came back with extra weight on. And so it started out as me being careful, but I found that because I felt homesick and I felt like there was a lot of things I couldn't control, Mm -hmm. I wanted to control what I could control. And so it wasn't really about the food. It was more about me trying to control something that I felt in control of. So when you look at the hierarchy of our securities, you will find that the very base level is security, that we need to have a roof over our head and food on our tables. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can inherit this sense of insecurity, even though most of the people who are listening to this have a roof over their head and they have food to eat. So we can become insecure and unsafe. And Mm -hmm. it's a sense that we need to control whatever we think we can control. So it's just becoming aware of that. Where am I being overly controlling and trying, you know, becoming obsessed with something rather than just enjoying it? So again, it comes back to that intention to enjoy something rather than to need it to happen. So let's say it's keeping the house clean because I know a lot of women can develop that obsession where they have Mm -hmm. to have a spotless house and that makes them actually (laughs) feel anxious. When they see a tea towel crooked, you know, hanging on the stove (laughs) and it's crooked, you know, it's just being okay with that, being I prefer, you know, moving to preferences. I prefer it to be tidy. But also, I prefer to have fun. So if you have young children, for example, it's actually impossible for the house to be tidy all the time. The kids are going to make (laughs) a mess because they're going to have fun with that mess. So if we can just shift our priorities and come back to our values and realize, you know what, my kids are having fun. That's more important to me than a spotless house so Mm. that we can start to relax about things and enjoy them rather than need them and have to have them a certain way. Right. What came to mind when you gave that example is the intention. Now, it's one thing if the kid decides to pick up a bowl of jello and throw it on the floor. That's two different things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so so true. That makes a big difference. Yeah, definitely. How do we connect to our soul 
to experience a paradigm shift within us? I love this question. It's probably the most important thing. We need to find some space. So I think what we do is we fill our lives. We fill our lives with activity. And a lot of women are juggling a lot of things. So Mm -hmm. we may have a spouse. We may have children. We may have a job. We have a house, you know, to look after and keep clean. And there are so many things to do. And then we have have a social life on top of that. And then we have the school, you know, things to do. And so we actually are thinking about a lot of things. I always joke about, and this is not (laughs) about gender inequality at all, but this is quite common. I noticed that if my husband went away from work, he would just pack his bag and walk out the door. And if I went Mm -hmm. out for work, I went away for work, I had to write 10 lists about what needed (laughs) needed to happen while I was away because there's just all of these things that we're thinking about and juggling. And I know that there are a lot of very great couples now where we share that. But Mm -hmm. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot going on and there is no space. I believe that our soul has always been communicating with us and always will, but we can't hear our soul because our mind is so noisy. If you have trouble sleeping or if you have trouble staying asleep or if you find that you're an overthinker or you rehash things, this is why the soul's voice can't get through to you and you can't hear those whispers. And so I highly recommend mindfulness. A lot of people find meditation very difficult when they've never done it before and they have a very busy mind. And I think that mindful movement can be a really first good first step for me when i tried to meditate particularly if it was in silence rather than listening to a guided meditation i just <laughs> thought even more and then i thought oh i'm not good at this which just made it worse you know oh, no i'm failing mm-hmm. at this i can't do it which wasn't good for my personality type so i found mindful movement like yoga um mm-hmm. just very tai chi for example Mm-hmm. Breathing and moving with the breath was a really good way for me to find some space. And this really allows you to connect to your soul. Going out into nature, you know, if you mm-hmm. like gardening, you know, focusing on the soil in your hands, becoming very present as you, you know, pull the weeds or plant new plants. Um, for me, walking along the beach is the way that I connect with my soul. I just love looking at the ocean. And um, so all of those techniques can really help you connect to your soul. That's beautiful. That's really beautiful. Why is it essential to know the five layers of energy, as you mentioned in the book, that contributes to us discovering our oneness, eternalness, and in many ways, our uniqueness? Well, I think that it's important for us to be able to understand how that works because it can be Mm -hmm. quite confusing to say I'm being the real me so what does that mean well it means being the unique you which is body mind and spirit but also the whole of you which includes your soul and the soul includes every other soul and so there's no coincidence that you Johnny and I are having this conversation now you know our souls brought Mm -hmm. us together because yeah. we have so much in common. We've never met before, but now we're, we're understanding that we have so much in common. And so right. we want to find that unique part of us as well as being able to, you know, find that wholeness of us. But when we understand that we have this physical body 
And then we have this ethereal layer that just sits on the outside of that, which you you notice when you're when you you get goosebumps. You know, when you <laughs> when you hear your soul talking, it might even be now. You might hear something that we say, and it gives you goosebumps. And that's that awareness. That's your right. feeling of connection or resonance. You know, when you say that you resonate with something, that's what's happening when you get those goosebumps or your hair standing up on end. And it's interesting to know where the mind sits in the energy body because we really think that our mind is in our body, but our mind is energy and it's movement and it's actually sitting over that layer. It's actually that third Mm -hmm. layer outside of the physical layer. And what's important to know about the mind is we can see what it's influenced by where we realize when it's where it sits because it sits between the emotional layer and our spiritual layer. So we're either being influenced by that spiritual layer when we think our thoughts in our mind or through our conditioned mind. So the emotions are very, very attached to what we're thinking with our mind, which we've been taught by other people, or it's sitting very, very close to that spiritual layer where we can receive that message straight from the soul and straight into our emotions and into our mind. And and that's why I really guide people when they're becoming soul pleasers mm-hmm. to allow their choices and their intentions to come from how it feels. I always ask people, how does it feel? And in fact, when I start working with people, they've become so detached from their feelings, they're like, I don't know how it feels. <laughs> they're so stuck in their head. They don't even have yeah. emotional awareness anymore. So that's how that understanding that I explain in the book helps us mm-hmm. to tap into knowing where the emotion fits with the soul and also right. fits with our mind and our phys- physical self. Beautiful, beautiful. And I presume that's how you discovered the beautiful gem within you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the meditations that I teach in the book allows you to become aware of those layers. And Mm -hmm. I've been able to, now I have this way of just turning my palms up and immediately feeling the tingling in the palms, which is my connection to my true self. And I can center myself very quickly now, and that's available to all of us. That's true. I do feel that myself as I go through the process within. And of course, as a Reiki master, teacher, and healer, that's part of the energy that you learn. But what's interesting about this is that when I speak to someone, I can hold my hands to them and they can feel it. Yes. Yes. I have also been taught to do Reiki. There's another thing we have in common. Yes, that is so (laughs) true. And, And when you tap into this energy, you can feel that energy in somebody else even if they don't touch you. So at the moment, you can feel my energy and I can feel your energy and the Mm -hmm. people listening to us can feel our energy as well. So there's this incredible ability for us to transfer that energy between each other and that also comes from tapping into that. So true. It's not about physical touching. I mean, you don't have to do that. The energy is so powerful that you can feel within it's almost like uh, the best way i tell people is like remember when we were in school and we worked with magnets <laughs> yes. and how that magnet yeah. could move the iron filings or not being able to connect with one another and it's like what the heck is that force well trust me we all have that <laughs> yes we do we are all magnets 
And if we tune in to this joy that we have inside of us, we're magnets to more joy. Yes, yes. When does the magic of being us lead to a blissful experience? It happens from moment to moment. So this Mm -hmm. is available to you in any moment. What I believe is that in any moment, we are either people-pleasing or soul-pleasing, which means Mm -hmm. we are Mm -hmm. either influenced by our conditioned mind or we are tapped into our soul and we're feeling what our soul feels. And our soul always feels blissful. So if we learn to tap into that, then we can do that in any moment and we can have bliss in any moment. So as you read the book and apply the principles, you will gradually feel more and more moments of bliss until, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned before, you tip the balance and 51% or more of your time is feeling these moments of bliss. You don't need anything different to be happening in your life to just go within, take a deep breath, have a smile come to your lips and just feel that bliss pulsing through your body. It's an incredible experience and it is available to absolutely everyone. Beautiful. That's beautiful. How do you define joy and freedom? Joy is our true essence. And so joy is when you have tapped into your true essence. Imagine it like a gushing pipe of golden light and Mm -hmm. it's flowing down on you constantly and you either have a shield up blocking it or you're letting a little bit of it in or you take the shield away and you let the whole lot of it pour into you. (laughs) When you let the whole lot of it pour into you, you will feel joy. And when you feel joy, you become aware of your absolute birthright, which is freedom. And you have the freedom to choose your thoughts and choose your emotions. It might not feel like that now, and don't beat yourself up if it does. It didn't feel like that for me, and now it does. And you can change and tap into that freedom. And when you experience that freedom, joy and freedom are so closely connected. The two of them feed each other. To be free is joy, and when you're joyful, you are free. Very true. Beautifully put. The joy is the journey and the freedom you will arrive at it. There's no rush. Yeah. <laughs> There's no rush. You can you can have it in any moment when you know how to do it. Yeah. So true. So true. Do you have an advice on the easiest and best way to initiate the journey to shift from being a people pleaser to a soul pleaser? Being open to it. The first step is mm-hmm. to say yes to it to say that you like the sound of it and say, I am open to making that shift bit by bit, moment by moment. And as soon as you ask for something, in my opinion, it is given. You just need to allow it in and just be gentle with yourself. Mm -hmm. So true, so true. Don't be afraid, in other words. Venture up. Let curiosity lead you. Absolutely. Give yourself permission you know, mm-hmm. to do it. I think people pleasers don't allow themselves to invest time in themselves. You know, I didn't even used to read anything but, you know, books that were going to help me help other people. <laughs> so for me to actually <laughs> now read a book just for me, you know, I think people pleasers often only do things that are for the greater good 
you know, be selfish enough to even read this book for you. It will actually help other people, but do it just for you. You deserve it. That's correct. That's correct. That's true. Do it for yourself. That's what it's all about. Where can someone go to buy your book, get more information about your services, including retreats, and keep up with your latest happenings? So you can find me on my website, which is my name, tracyseekham.com, and you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, Soul Pleaser. Um, Instagram is soul.pleaser. Wonderful. What is next for you? Well, I am so open now. So I know that my soul knows what I want, and I know that my life just keeps getting better and better. And so I'm excited about all the opportunities that are coming my way. Beautiful. That's really wonderful. As we're coming close to the end of the hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Um, A recipe for living. So my recipe for living is start your day with joy. Reach for joy as soon as you open your eyes in the morning and then check in throughout the day. And if you've dropped reach for it again. If you can't get to joy, go for relief. See if you can just feel a little bit better and watch your life transform. That's beautiful. That's really, really beautiful. Tracy, thank you for the excellent recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Wednesday morning, April 12th at 10 a.m. Central Time, U.S. My guest will be Simran. Known as the 1111 Lady, a love catalyst and rebel humanitarian, she advocates for greater balance, neutrality, compassion, and inner peace. Simran is also the host of 1111 Talk Radio, publisher of the award-winning 1111 magazine, a TEDx speaker, and creator of One Woman Show. Simran and I will be having a conversation about her remarkable life's journey and her latest book, Signs. Sacred Encounters with Pathways, Turning Points, and Divine Guideposts. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Tracy, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a very delightful, blessed week. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.